You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am your co-host, PJ, with my sidekick, other co-host, Matt Shiles. Matt, hey, it's great to be here with you. Yeah, good to see you. And I think this might be episode 41 or 42. I, I can't remember. I was like scrolling through my podcast, keep, keep and I was looking at extra takes, and I, th- I think I saw episode 40. Yeah. So I think we're this would be episode 41. Possibly. I yeah. know we're right around the 40 mark. There so. you go. So at some I'm point, impressed. I don't. we don't do seasons, so I guess we'll just do episodes. So, yeah, maybe we can start doing that. Because like, some people have seasons of episodes, you know, or like, yeah, seasons right. of podcasts. Right. We'll just do episodes of podcasts. So we're we're coming up on our 50th podcast. So so we're not there yet. So that so maybe we'll make sure we celebrate our 50th podcast. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great idea. That is a uh, that's a good marker. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we'll know we have. Hit the the one year mark and uh, and keep yeah. going, yeah, yeah. That's great, yeah, because we we do one a week, so yeah. that's cool, yeah. All right, love it, love it. So for this extra special forty first, forty second, whatever episode yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> we we have an extra spe- special episode uh, for you. So we will be uh, talking a little bit about uh, Ed Stetzer and just uh, him him being here this weekend. But we did want to take this opportunity to dig into. Um, another article that you wrote, and specifically about uh, cultural engagement uh, during this this month, we are obviously using Hamilton um, to work through some some cultural engagement. But this is an article that that you wrote a few months back, and it's called "Speaking Prophetically in a Post Christian World." So, yeah. so what we'll do today is I'll kind of give a, a good outline for everybody, so we make sure. We understand the, uh, the the gist of of what you were getting at, and then we're just gonna work through the outline and and go po- point by point and let you cool. uh, describe it because I think this is a a great way for us to look specifically at, at John the Baptist and then how we can apply that to today. Yeah. So before we dig in, um, like I mentioned before, Ed Stetzer preached this weekend. He was your your former boss, so I'd love for you to just yeah. uh, talk about that. You. Um, you trusted him to come in and preach on cultural engagement. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you felt comfortable having him preach on uh, a, a yeah. topic as, as unique as cultural engagement? So Ed and I, we go all the way back to probably 2010. Mm. And my PhD studies, he was one of my professors. Oh, Okay. And actually, a couple of different classes. So that's kind of where I really got to meet him, connect with him, because at that point he was working for Lifeway Research mm. in Nashville, and his his doctorate is in missiology, and so that's where we share that in common. Yeah. Uh, but he obviously, like I said, he was a professor of mine. And then years, you know, kind of years later, when I was trying to finish up my PhD, I worked for him also in a part-time capacity while I was finishing up my PhD as not not only kind of a research assistant, but but also someone who helped him with, with writing projects, mm. did writing projects and stuff like that with him and for him. Mm. And then a few years later, uh, he reached out to me and to see if I would be interested in being his his assistant director there at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. And so when you look at like so so Ed and I we've been connected for for a long time. We think a lot alike. Um, 
you know, he is someone not only do, do I trust, is someone that I actually look up to. Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, I always joke around with him that, you know, he's much older than I, <laughs> but but he's like 15, 16 years older. So he's a season ahead of me. Yeah. And that that actually lends itself to, you know, really asking what what can I learn from, from him? Yeah. And there's actually a lot I can learn from him uh, writing, uh, cultural engagement, uh, mission. Mm. I can learn a lot from a leadership standpoint because he has been in these places where he's ran large staffs. Um, he's been a pastor, a church planter. I mean, he, he's been a little bit of, of everything. And so I just have a deep, deep respect for him. And so when I, doing a series like cultural engagement, uh, like he he thinks that way. How, how can we engage culture well? But then also more specifically, I knew that he had written on Eliza. Right. So I specifically wrote this into him actually being able to come here and, and do that particular message well. Mm. And so that, that's just a little bit of the, the background of why I I really do trust him to preach on cultural engagement, mm. and I listened to the eleven o'clock gathering yesterday. And yeah, I, and, I, and I was talking to him yesterday afternoon. I'm like, "Man, you did a really good job." And he, he was actually a little nervous because it's normally not how we preach. I mean, sure. even me, like, it's, I you usually don't start out with a you know song and exegete a, a cultural song, and then you know, yeah. but. Uh, but I'm like, no, man. I said you did, you did great. Like, because yeah, you know, he would go two thousand years. Jesus did this. You know, his disciples did this. Then two hundred years, Eliza, yeah. and so just really using her as the example mm-hmm. of of what it means to have faith in frantic times. Mm-hmm. And so now there was a, there was one particular thing, and you know, I'd have to really because I was driving yeah. as I was listening to it, so I wasn't able to like take notes. But one of the things that just struck me about Eliza's story is that she was deeply hurt by yeah. Hamilton. I mean, well, one of the things that we'll look at in the last message of this series is the world was wide enough. So we're going to look at that song. And I'll really kind of bring a little bit more out of the insecurity of Hamilton. Yeah. But uh, so Hamilton had his flaws and his flaws and his insecurities and uh, really his sin it really deeply affected and and hurt Eliza, yeah. but yet Eliza, and as Ed alluded to, for, forgave, you know Hamilton. But what what's so fascinating is that she, even after Hamilton is gone, she's wanting to promote his legacy. She's yeah. wanting his voice yep. to live on. I mean, she really believe you know believed in him. Yeah. And so, even though he deeply hurt her, yeah, and I, you know, I j- just what 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 my mind goes to is how we deeply hurt Jesus, hmm. how we deeply hurt the Lord, like we cheated on Him, hmm. we hurt Him, we rebelled against Him, hmm. and yet He forgave us, yeah, and not only did He for 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 forgive us. But he does want us, and you know that's why I, you know I wanted Ed to preach on John uh, John twenty, where where the, the Father sent me, so now do I send you? Jesus would say is like so. So even though you've deeply hurt me, I mean, even if you take that immediate context, all of the disciples, with the exception of one, abandoned Jesus. The you know the the other one flat out betrayed him. So you have a you have really ten now that are left. They had completely abandoned him. Only one was there at the cross, and you know who that was? John. John. And so <laughs> Jesus has been deeply hurt by them. But now because of the resurrection, he's going to send them out to continue on his yeah. living legacy. Yeah. And, and so, and the only way, and this is the thing, the, the only way we're going to, going to continue his living legacy is if we really love him and trust him. Hmm. And we believe that what he said was hmm. life transforming. Hmm. And so just as Eliza thought that whatever Hamilton did needed to continue on, his legacy needed to 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 live longer than he actually did. And so so that's what you know that's a parallel for me as I was like looking at this series going man I really you know see that as a huge connection 
to how we, as disciples of Jesus, the only way we will live out that mission Mm -hmm. is if we truly do love him Mm -hmm. and believe in him and and what he claimed he he was, who he was, Mm -hmm. and that he actually did it. Mm -hmm. So and pulled it off. And so that that uh, and so, but I really appreciated his three, you know, his three points of what he went into um, with uh, John twenty, but used and Eliza throughout as this living example of of someone who is faith filled. Yeah, yeah. A couple things stood out to me: um, just the Eliza steadfastness in the face of Alexander's frantic nature, and uh, and really. Um, Sometimes his obsession with his view, you know, um, the public's view of him, right, and his name, um, and that's one of the one of the reasons he deeply hurt her is because he made that public, right? He he wrote it himself. It, this obsession, but Eliza's steadfastness. The other thing that stood out to me in terms of that was the the importance and opportunity that believers have in the these cultural spheres to. Um, even without, even without making this a, an overtly, you know, religious, um, you know, piece of art, a believer could have woven Eliza's story of faith a little more, cemented it a little more um, strongly. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that was one of the um, one of the things that I I realized and recognized. Man, there was an opportunity there. We we see glimpses of it, yeah. Um, but we don't see it as as strongly as as I think Ed showed. Yeah. Um, that her faith was so deep, and there was um, there was an opportunity that she was able to forgive because of the way that she was yeah. forgiven. Well, that book that that Lynn Manuel Miranda used as inspiration. He was reading it on vacation. He's like, man, I'm going to turn this into a play. I mean, it's pretty yeah. fascinating, but Ron Chernow, yeah. his his epilogue is is only about Eliza, and, oh, and it's really? several, several pages. I mean, and so it, it, we wouldn't... We wouldn't know the things that we know of Hamilton to the degree we do if it weren't for her. Hmm. And so she was played a pivotal role in, again, uh, letting the world know more about her husband that she dearly loved. And she is buried right beside him at Trinity Church uh, there in New York City. And, and and that's what was amazing. She, I think, she was ninety-seven when she died, and so, but lived fifty years after he passed, and but was still in love. Never, re- I mean, so, and this is where it's like, wow. I mean, this is a woman who yeah. really, really, deeply loved her husband, and I, I, I think it really is not in. It's not a. Te- here's the thing. Like you could say, it's a testimony to Alexander Hamilton. I, I think it's more of a testimony to her faith. I think so. Yeah. And and that, that's one of the things I did appreciate about how Ed brought that. That out, yeah. and and he knew more about it. And so again, that's where I'm like, um, you know, wanted him to do that, and I can tackle really more of digging into the songs aspect yeah. Be, because the song I think we well the song that we sang was the the best of women, best of wives, and I know that we also did a little kind of spoken word to yeah. of another song to give a little bit more of the context. Yeah. But uh, you know, now uh, for the next week, we're going we're going to look at uh, the the first song, the King sang. You'll be back. Really excited about doing that. And then, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, we'll do the world was wide enough and actually look at the duel. So, really, when you look at the the series, we started with Alexander Hamilton, the general synopsis that the first song gives us. Mm. Eliza Hamilton, who actually played a huge role in Hamilton's life. And that really was an anchor to him. That really did at least influence him on, on a greater level than even the play probably even lets on. Yeah. And then we can look at the king yeah. because, you know, the whole context is set within the American Revolution. Yeah. And then because he was a founding father and then the, you know, the actual idea of how he died. Yeah. And in that duel, and kind of looking at that, so so it really kind of gives the the the, the overarching scope of of his life, his wife, 
you, you know, what really kind of you know set the the American Revolution into in, into being, and then you know his death. Mm. So his untimely death because yeah. he was only forty nine years old. Yeah. And Sucker, if he didn't go out there and duel, I mean, who knows? You know. But in God's sovereignty, it was his time. <laughs> so. Well, and one of the um, one of the comments they made, and and even the song was, "Why do you write like you're running out of time?" Yeah, he was a uh, a prolific writer. And he didn't have Netflix. That's why. Is that why? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he didn't. That, he didn't have Netflix, YouTube, TV, reason. Disney yeah. Plus. Like no, yeah, he, he didn't have TikTok. So. <laughs> so, so something you you and Alexander do have in common is this i this idea this desire to write um, you know write well and I think that's something that um, you share with with Ed as as well right Ed is very much a prolific writer and I see uh, see your desire to to do that as well and that's what we're gonna dig into today one yeah. of these articles that yeah. you uh, that you wrote and it's um it's wonderful for us to uh, to pull these out. I, I saw you wrote this in October of 2022. Um, I don't know if this was a reissue or it was the first time that it came out, but uh, it's speaking prophetically in a post-Christian world. Mm. So let me just kind of go through you know the aim, this this overview, and then we'll we'll dig into the question. So you said my aim at the very least is to help believers think about our existence and thus our engagement as aliens and sojourners in a pagan and post-Christian land. Mm. Um, so this idea of, of being exiles, um, and you had four observations for how you use John the Baptist. Yeah. Um, four observations for how John the Baptist was a prophetic witness to the first coming of Jesus and how the church can too be a prophetic witness to the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. So you really laid out four ways we can be a prophetic witness based upon John the Baptist. This is preserve a prophetic existence, proclaim a prophetic message, practice a prophetic voice, and perform a prophetic duty. Mm. She always loved to uh, define words. So we will start with this uh, definition of a prophetic witness. Um, You said, as people of the already but not yet kingdom, a prophetic witness seeks to embody and evangelize the truth that the king has come and is coming again to make all things new. Yeah. Yeah, and that goes right in line with my understanding of the gospel, the good news of King Jesus. And the gospel is and gosh, I I, I wanna say I wanna say that N.T. Wright has influenced me about just the, the succinct mm-hmm. understanding of the gospel is that the the rightful king has come mm-hmm. To make all things new, and and I and I'll add through his death and his resurrection, mm. you know that. So so here's the good news. The good news is that the cosmic king mm. has come into the world. And again, I, and I and I intentionally use cosmic because he's over everything. He's the he's the cosmic king who has come into time and space to make everything new, and he accomplished that through his death and his resurrection. So now this prophetic witness, it seeks to embody that mm. and to evangelize to that. And that and, and so in elsewhere, I've, I've defined evangelism as inviting people into the good news story of King Jesus, who is in the process of making all things new. So I really try to stay consistent and weave in things as opposed to uh, almost siloing these these terms. Mm. And so, so evangelism, again, is inviting people into the good news story of King Jesus, who is in the process of making all things new. And so this prophetic witness seeks to embody that, to demonstrate it, to to tell people about it, to invite people and to evangelize the the truth that the king, the cosmic king has come and is coming again Mm. to fully make all things new. And so I think it really is so important that when we think about engagement, there is a witness. And what, what is that witness connected to? Well, it's actually connected to what Jesus told his disciples, particularly through the the hand, the pen of Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so because it was Luke who is obviously he's interviewing probably Peter 
and saying, well, what did Jesus tell you all before he, you know, ascended back into heaven? And he's like, well, he gathered us together and he says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So there's this idea of of witness. And, and it really is more of a legal term mm-hmm. be, because these witnesses need to be credible. Uh, these witness witnesses need to be trustworthy. And then also in the Bible, it really does talk about the idea that you need to have two or three witnesses that would testify to something. And so, um, yeah, so that's what, yeah, this idea of prophetic witness, just to drill down into that just a little bit deeper where it comes from. Yeah, it's really helpful to also hear about, um, you know, your desire to be consistent with definitions, and that helps us to... um, yeah, it helps us to to remember them and continue to to yeah. point back. Yeah, well, because they're all interconnected, and, and that's where yeah. I always they're all in, uh, you know interconnected under the umbrella of of God's mission. Yeah, and His mission is to redeem a people from all peoples to to reflect His glory in all spheres of life. Yeah. And, um, and then that's why I also love to define discipleship as learning what it means to be human after the image and likeness of Jesus. So, again, you're connecting it all the way back to Genesis. Mm-hmm. It's under the umbrella of God's mission. And then when you add evangelism and you add witness and you add all these you know things to it, the gospel, like they're all interconnected. And they really try to stay consistent in the story of God. Yeah, that's great. So this first point preserve a prophetic existence. Um, I'll give you a, um, I'll I'll say a quote and then a couple thoughts about it and uh, let you respond. You said, when this world doesn't look nor feel like home, we don't attack, criticize, denigrate, or retaliate. We love, pray, and intercede for the world, all the while exclaiming, Maranatha. So this idea of preserving, you know, can be counter to our natural feelings, right? You pointed that out when this world doesn't feel like home, uh, our natural desire can be to fight. But as I think about it, it seems like our ability to preserve is in the hope for the future because, um, you know, this, this world is not our home and this is not a a complacency for the current situation, but really a hope and a recognition that um, that that this this won't continue. That we are um, we are not home here. Yeah. So, I, I, and when, whenever I write an article like this, there's always more that I could say. It's kind of like a message. Oh, really? Because they they give you stipulations, like you know, you need to keep it within a thousand, eleven hundred words. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about it, preserve a prophetic existence, when you think about John the Baptist, and th- this is why I started, you know, I used him because I think he's just a great example, but I could also show you in the Old Testament too with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like, and, yeah. and we've talked about them before. Yeah. But so, so John the Baptist lived in the desert, wore unfashionable clothes, had an unusual diet, yeah. and, you know, so <laughs> he's a prophet, yeah. And he's crying out in the wilderness. I mean, so he's unique. Yeah. He stands out. And his whole thing was to prepare the way mm. of the coming Messiah. Well, so so if you think about this idea of preserving a prophetic existence, we should be different. This world is not our home. Yeah. So now while we might not necessarily have, you know, the the diet, the clothes or live in the desert like John the Baptist, there is still a prophetic existence that we should embody that mm. that they're different. They're not of this world. Like people need to say like if they hear you talk, yeah. They need to go help me un- understand that. Yeah. You, you know, be, because we talk like this world is not our home. We talk not like the world does. We don't see, and that's the thing, we don't see marriage the way the world sees marriage. We don't see sexuality the way the world sees sexuality. We don't see gender the way, like, mm. we are different. We have a, we, we don't see money. We don't see power. We don't see, like, we think differently. Mm. So we, we, we live differently. We have a prophetic existence. But, but this is where I could have even gone a little bit deeper. But through us preserving a prophetic existence, we act 
as society's preservative. And that goes right in line with what Jesus says about us being the salt Mm. of the earth. Mm. So, So imagine there's a lot of preservatives that are put in food today. And so when you take preservatives in food, yeah. you are able to keep that food around a lot longer. But then when you eat that food, it helps preserve you. Mm. So, so when you think about us preserving a prophetic existence, just the very nature of our prophetic existence actually acts as a preservative to society. Mm. So again, I could have drilled on that. I yeah. could drill down on that a little bit more, but but that's just another way of thinking about us maintaining a prophetic existence allows us to mm. preserve the society more as a, as salt would. Yeah. So yeah. That's wonderful. Um it's shocking that you had more things to to share about than what you were able to fit into this article. Oh, I yeah. I would not have guessed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and just so that people know, too, because you use the word Maranatha, is that that just simply means come Lord Jesus. And so we, when, when we face trials and difficulty and pain and sorrow and loss, like it's okay to say Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We're asking you to come again. Like you said that you're going to come back for us. You, you said that you're going to fully... Mm. Establish your kingdom here on planet Earth. So we're just saying, when we say Maranatha, we're saying, please do that now. Yes. I made sure to look that up because I I knew you might bring that up. Yeah. Um, You're training us well. We have to know our definitions. So the second one is proclaim a prophetic message. So this is where we really see John the Baptist had a message, and we also have one, and it's, it's similar um, John the Baptist was repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now ours is repent for the king has come and is coming again. Um, and that's the message that we have for the world and to take to the world. Yeah. Well, and if we lose that message, we lose our witness. Mm. So if you you know to use w like if we lose that word mm. we lose our witness. Mm. And it's so important that's why it's so important for us to have the the, the gospel message that is our prophetic message. Mm. And the prophetic message would say that every human being needs to repent, needs to have a change of mind in the way they think and behave mm. because they are rebels, they had committed treason, they've committed high treason mm. against the high king of glory, against the cosmic king. Mm. And so they are they are destined for condemnation, they are destined for the king's wrath, but in the king's great love for us, and I'm actually going to be talking about this idea of, of the king this coming weekend, so I don't want to get so far ahead of ourselves, <laughs> but... But that's part of the prophetic message is that the king has come to die for the subjects that committed treason, that had rebelled. Mm. And that if you're if you're going to be saved by the king, you have to repent. Mm. You have to have this change of mind. I'm sorry. I, I yes, I've done this, but I confess you as king. Mm. I align myself with you. And so if we ever, and that's the thing, like if a church ever loses mm. that that particular message, I mean, again, that specific message, they have lost a credible witness, mm. and they're no longer they no longer have a prophetic message because you, you know you could tell. I mean, like it's so funny. I was reading, I, I follow one of the series like TV series things. I follow their social media page. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting when, when someone put out a actually it was it was a Christian statement about this this cultural TV series. Yeah. And people were just hammering this person. Mm-hmm. Like, oh don't bring the Bible in this, da 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 and, and it's like 
then they then I even saw a few people talk about how the golden rule, like you know, the, the, this this series is more about the golden rule: do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you don't need religion, you don't need Jesus. Like, and so here's my thing: is like, mm-hmm. yes, like sure, there's a lot of people out there today in the world today saying you just need to treat others the way you want to be treated. Like, you just need to love, you need to be kind, you need to be forgiving. A very generic message. Like so, and which I would you know, just say, well, that just goes to show you that the law of God has been written on our heart. But, mm-hmm. but, but again, like I, let's just give them this idea that they want the you know the world to be full of people who are kind, who follow the golden rule, who forgive others. But, but this is the prophetic message: you are a sinner. You have been separated from God, the cosmic king of glory, who has created all things for his glory. And you need to repent because you have made the world that he created a mess. Mm-hmm. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of truth. And so the only way to be saved is for you to repent of your sin, of you doing things that your way and for you to proclaim him and announce him as king and as savior that that is the prophetic message and that distinguishes us from every other religion and philosophy out there mm. so we we can't lose it because if we lose that message we've 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 really we've lost our our witness so we have that that prophetic message to the world and, and John the Baptist uh, practiced that to the world, um, but then he also had this prophetic voice. And this is our this is our third point, which is practice a prophetic voice. Yeah. And this practicing of a prophetic voice was to the religious leaders. This is to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So um, you had said rather than calling out non-believers for behaving like non-believers, Christians should use a prophetic voice on those who share a common authority. In other words, in other words, Christians practicing a prophetic voice would call out believers and especially leaders who have detoured from the gospel theologically and practically. Yeah, yeah. So again, a prophetic voice cannot be used on someone who has a completely different worldview. Yeah, and that's different than the prophetic message. And it's different, yeah, because again, so the prophetic yeah. witness is adding that preservative mm. to to not only your distinctiveness, but also to the saltiness that Jesus has called us to. Mm. The prophetic message is that which is telling the world, you need to repent. Mm-hmm. The prophetic voice that is used more in a rebuking mm. sense and more of a corrective sense is only going to be effective on those who share a common world view. Yeah. So, so John the Baptist, he rebuked the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees for bad, and I'm going to use two big words, I'll explain them, but for bad orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So orthodoxy is this right belief, right doctrine, and orthopraxy is this right behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have orthopraxy unless you have orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because really the two go hand in hand. Yeah. And so he's he's now using this prophetic voice and correcting these mm-hmm. these people. Mm-hmm. And so what what we have to do is we need to practice a prophetic voice on our own family. Mm-hmm. So in what what has been done over over the years through the really the the decades um is the church has issued a prophetic voice to people who are not believers. Right. So I'll give you an example. Okay, so when you're having a conversation around abortion mm. and you're telling a group of people why you we should not abort children in the womb, mm. and we're saying, well, the Bible says... And that group says, "Well, I don't believe the Bible." Right. Okay. So now you're you're, you're it's apples and oranges. You, mm. you know, because you believe the Bible, you have that worldview, you have a biblical worldview. Mm. They don't. So so it, it's you're talking past people at that point. Mm. 
mm. you, you know. And so now, if there's a if if there's a believer or a group of believers out there who who claim to know Jesus but they're for abortion, then we're going to use a prophetic voice in correcting them. Right. Uh, we're going to correct them for other things, like no, that is not what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. That's not what the Bible says about marriage. A- again, if we're going to establish the same commonality, mm-hmm. that we have the same worldview, we have the same scriptures that are supposed to be authoritative in our life, mm-hmm. then yes, we're going to issue a prophetic voice uh, that rebukes, that that, that rebukes, in a gr- again, in a very gracious and loving way, but that corrects in a very loving and gracious way, but we're going to practice a prophetic voice to our family members. And so... Um, now, I, I, you know, I, I did say on a side note that a prophetic voice shouldn't be used on Christians who hold different secondary or tertiary theological convictions. Yeah. So, and here's what I mean by that. So, if you believe like that, the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation, and somebody else doesn't believe that, they they don't even believe in a rapture because you do have to realize that the word rapture is only used in one and actually one New Testament book. And, and and so if somebody else doesn't hold that, well, you don't you're not going to use a prophetic voice and correct them. Well, I know because because there's a lot of believers who have not who they actually don't don't agree on this subject, you know, and then even, you know, secondary things and, you know, secondary things could be like the sign gifts. And so we're not going to use it. Again, you can have a very healthy discussion, a very even healthy Christian debate, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to correct them on the secondary and tertiary issues that throughout the, the, you know, church history that godly men and women have differed Mm -hmm. on those things. Mm But it's going to be the primary things, mm-hmm. and so and and obviously I use some examples how I would definitely elevate uh, gender, sexuality, marriage to primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of of our uh, of our being created in the imago day mm-hmm. that's elevated. So that's why we would not believe uh, that it's right to abort uh, a a child in the womb. And so so anyway, so I use those, but those those are primary doctrinal beliefs that we would hold which we're going to go through all of our primary doctrinal beliefs in our TED series in July. In July, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a great distinction. And and as I think about, you know, even in this title, you talk about in a post-Christian world, um, one of the things that that we have had a challenge with that, that you mentioned was um, using a prophetic voice on, on those that um, aren't coming under the authority that – there has been such a um, such a messiness of having uh, Christianity so pervasive in our culture that whether whether they were coming under the authority or not, right? There was this kind of this thought that no, you should be behaving this way. Now we're we are rapidly moving in a way where it's becoming a lot more clear. There's a distinction, you know. The distinction had been blurred, you know. If you're living in America, yeah, you know. 50 years ago, you were a believer. I mean, it was just kind of common, right? Yeah, yeah. Now there's this such distinction that we have to re recapture this idea of, well, hold on, right? And for some of us, this might be this new idea that, that there is a difference yeah. um, between a prophetic message and a prophetic voice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Pro- prophetic message out towards the culture. Yeah. Because again, and that, that's where I would even say that I, I I I don't feel like Jesus railed against lost people. He simply told them the truth. You already stand condemned, but I've come to save you. Mm. So repent. <laughs> repent yeah. for the kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, that is our message. Like, I'm not asking you to clean up your act. Uh, Jesus didn't ask you to clean up your act. He, you know, he asked you to repent first. Like, that, that, like, let him clean up your act because you can't clean up your act. I can't clean up my act, but he can. Mm. And so, so that's why we're not asking you to, uh, again, to, to change what you believe about this, to change your practices here. What we're actually first and foremost asking you to to do is what Jesus asked people to do, and that is to repent of your sin and to place your faith and trust and hope mm. in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, when you do that, He's and you and you mean it. 
and you actually believe it and you really do give your life over to Jesus, then he begins to clean. He begins to do this, mm. not not you. Yeah. You continue just to surrender your life. Mm with a prophetic voice. And one of the things that's going to be very hard the, the further we go into the 21st century is this prophetic voice because no one wants to be held accountable anymore. Yeah. And so there's a there's a movie series that actually I really love, but Joni read the books first, and it's called Divergent. Yeah. And and it's about all these factions that people put you in. Like that that's our society. That's actually even our you know, really the big C church. We have now just segregated ourselves into factions mm-hmm. of, of people that that believe exactly like us because we don't want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, and if and then also this idea that if, if you're if you're not a member, like in in some sense like a church member, like Part of church membership really is this idea that you are wanting to come under the authority of that church so that they would speak life and light into you, that they would challenge anytime that they see you deviating Mm -hmm. from what would honor Jesus and that would be good for you, Mm -hmm. that they speak into it in a a rebuking you know, kind of essence, uh, corrective, you know, not in a mean way, yeah. but but we we no longer. I mean, we live in a society, and even it seeped into the church. Like we don't want that anymore. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be held accountable. We want to be able to, you know. And so, so, so that's actually going to be a challenge to the prophetic voice. And I would say, like, I need a prophetic voice. I need someone to speak into my life when they see me going off the rails, when they when they see something in my life that doesn't really measure up to the standard of Jesus. I want somebody to speak into my life. Yeah. And so I want us to be a church that really the preaching, and that's part of the, the, the really the element of preaching, it really is more of a prophetic voice type thing. Yeah. It's this exhortation, mm-hmm. don't do this, do this. Um, or beware of this, you know. And so there's this preaching. And that's why I like to say I have a preaching element and a teaching element. Mm-hmm. I'm going to teach you the scriptures, but also I'm going to going to preach it in in, a, in in an exhortive, prophetic way to challenge us, to challenge all of us, including myself, that we might honor Jesus through our distinctiveness as His people. Amen. And, yeah. and really the importance of that prophetic voice can be seen in our fourth and final point, which is perform a prophetic duty. So John the Baptist had one duty to prepare the way of the Lord. Today, our prophetic duty can be summarized in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Let me read this and I'll have you comment. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Yeah. Yeah, It's interesting that Peter, he quotes really from Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, which, you know, it's fascinating that he's equating the church to Israel. Yeah. I mean, so so there's some theological things that some people, you know, because there's there's this idea that people don't. There, there's two different kind of camps: replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel, and then uh, kind of and non-replacement theology that God still has a plan for ethnic Israel. And you know, some people might want to know well, where do you stand. I actually have more of a hybrid approach. And I really, you know, I really do. Like, uh, because I definitely see the the essence of the Jewish people mm-hmm. as the the race that God entered into covenant with with Abraham. Yep. Uh, but as Paul would say, also in Romans, that they have to be grafted back in. Mm-hmm. So, so he's going to talk about that in Romans nine, ten, and eleven. The aspect that Israel, ethnic Israel, they are lost. Mm-hmm. Like if a Jew died today and didn't know Jesus, they will spend eternity separated from Jesus and and thus God. <laughs> And so, but I do believe that ethnic Israel does that there will be an outpouring of His Spirit in the in, in the latter days. So, I, so I do believe that, but they will be grafted into the church. So that's that's what I believe. But so I so I have very much of a a hybrid uh, approach to theology here, and so that's why I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
That's why I have I actually have Jewish friends. I have this actually Orthodox uh, Jew that I'm, I really stay in touch with. That and and man, like I pray for him. And, you know, it's like, man, you're so close. Like, I, I had a conversation with him not too long ago, and we were talking about, oh, what book? Will, oh, we were talking about the book of Ruth, because I, I asked him questions. Yeah. And then I was asking, you know, I was asking him about a, a certain, you know, aspect of, of Ruth, because we're going to be doing a series in the book of Ruth, Ruth later on in the fall. And he's like, you know, I never thought about it that way. And I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so, but uh, but anyways, like, so I, I do believe. I, so that's where I, I really tried, you know, from, again, this is not because I'm trying to play to both sides. It's just my understanding of scripture mm. that you do have Peter. You have to you have to wrestle with that. He's, he's quoting from Exodus 19, mm. that you now church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so when you look at that duty, our duty is to be distinct, distinctly his. We are his Hmm. possession. Hmm. We're we're his treasured possession. That means we're at his disposal. However he wants to use us, it's up to him, not us. And then we are a royal priesthood. So what 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 did priests do? They mediated between God and the people. So what do we do? We mediate between God and the world. So we act as this 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 royal priesthood, this chosen race that God has left the church in the midst of the world to to act as this mediator between him and the world. So so that's part of where we we have to fulfill that duty. Mm-hmm. We're not not only his, but but we are his for a a reason, for a purpose, and that is to mediate between those who don't know him mm-hmm. and him. And then the holy nation is the distinctiveness now mm-hmm. that we are separate from the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. So therefore, we don't do the things. It goes. Then this actually goes back to this idea of the prophetic existence. So so now it's tying it all together. But this is a duty now mm-hmm. that we have. It is an obligation for the church to do this. Yeah. Um. And and so that's why. It's 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 paramount of vital importance that we maintain this prophetic duty. We actually have an obligation in the world. God has left us in the world to fulfill this mission. And, I, and again, I so this so think about them in military terms. Like you have a duty to to your country. You have a duty to your commanding officer, right? So. That, that's what we have. We have a duty to our commanding officer. We have a duty uh, to whom the commanding officer has put in charge of our regiment. Like, so, I mean, like, it's so, so important to think about our, our presence as a duty. Mm. Yeah, and you, you can really start seeing how, how each of these are intertwined. Yeah. And if, um, you know, you see, you see the importance of the prophetic voice, um, and in, in the correction and in, in the need for rebuking um, with the responsibility that comes with that prophetic yep. duty. Well, and I do put in here, and again, this is where I, I, I'll just uh, remind us of the quote that I made in our first – in our first message in this series, Hamilton Through the Eyes of the Gospel, is that that the Lord has not called us to be culture warriors, but witnesses to culture. Yeah. Because I truly believe that Jesus is more concerned with a godly church than he is with us living in a Christian nation. Hmm. Because if, if, if here's the thing. Uh, we're, we're really at a crossroads when it comes to the church and culture. Mm-hmm. We can't even we can't even get our own house in order. So why in the world, if we can't even get our own individual houses in order, why in the world would we, in some sense, be yelling at the the, the in some sense the larger nation to get their house in order? Hmm. I mean, we we can't like, and I mean, I could get on a really big soapbox here. But we, we can't get we, we, we can't get our, our families right. We we can't get our own personal lives right. We can't even get unity right. And again, I'm I'm talking for the big C church, right? I'm not but 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 when you look at the big C church, it really is manifesting itself in in microwaves in smaller, you know, in, in our in our little small C churches. Yeah. So we can't even get our own house in order. 
Are we really? Are, are we really? Na- I mean, kind of naive enough to believe that we're going to get our bigger cultural house in order when people don't even hold the same values that we we can't even get our own values right. Mm. So that's why, like, where where I'm where I'm looking at today when it comes from a pastoral perspective, like I want Northland to get these things right. Now we're not going to get them right perfectly because this side of heaven, this side of Jesus's return, there's always going to be this wrestling. Yeah. But here's what I do believe: we can get it. We can get it better. We, we, we can definitely we can definitely allow the Lord to do better through us. Mm. And so I want, so I want Northland. My heart's desire is for Northland to have this prophetic existence, mm. that we really are, you know, preserving our our distinctiveness, so that we can actually act as a preservative. That's why I love the things that we do, mm. and you know, and I just want to, I want us to do them not only uh, how we're doing them now. I want us to do them better and even. In a scaled way, like even more and broader, yeah. um, and and then like I want I want us to not lose sight of the message. I want us to to be able to challenge one another, where where we don't have people like you know getting so mad because I don't like I don't like being challenged like that. I'm gonna take my I'm gonna take my toys and go somewhere else where you know I'm I'm not challenged to live like that. Well, okay, fine then, yeah. uh, but I want us to be. A church that we're willing to get in our in each other's grill in a very loving way, mm-hmm. and, and then to have that prophetic duty where, man, let, what just what if? And that's what I always play out. What if mm-hmm. we did these things for the next thirty, forty, fifty years faithfully? Mm-hmm. How much of a difference could our prophetic witness make in just the central? Florida region. I think more than we would ever dare to to imagine. Yeah. I really believe that. And so that that's why I feel like it's so important. And here's the thing. Would our prophetic witness, would it at least lend itself to experiencing micro transformations in our in, in our larger state or in our larger region, larger state, larger nation? I actually think so. Oh, yeah. I think history, I think even, you know, church history has lent itself that we can't if we do not lose a prophetic witness. Right. But we need to start there. Hmm. That's great. Yeah, the um I think that's a great point to end on. I appreciate the um the thoughts, the passions you do right like you're running out of time, <laughs> to quote <laughs> Hamilton. Um, as a reminder, this was the article speaking prophetically in a post-Christian world. We'll probably we'll try to put the link in the uh, in the show notes so so that you all can uh, can go and read that for yourself as well. And um, and I hope and pray that this was a uh, a helpful um, podcast for you to uh, to continue to think through. Um, the way that we engage culture and um, and the reason why that's important. Absolutely, Matt. Well, thanks so much for leading us and guiding this conversation. Northland family and friends, you are deeply loved, and we pray that you have a great rest of your day and week. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.